welcome to the Inner Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Tran, and I'm here to serve your highest purpose on this planet, discovering who you are and what you are meant to do. Each week, I will bring to you conversations that will elevate your mind, deepen your awareness, and expand your heart to help you unlock your inner leader. Before we dive in, make sure you subscribe to our podcast to tune in on the daily. Without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Inner Leader Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really grateful for your presence here today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very, very privileged to share this space with you right now. This is awesome. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, from the past conversations that we have had, they have just been so great. And we've talked so much about leadership and all other areas of life. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I know you're actually one of the, I mean, I kind of geek out about leadership with, with a lot of people, but you're the only other person that I've been able to talk to who's so laser focused on leadership as well. So it's kind of nice to, to like nerd out with someone about that. Thank you. (laughs) So you have a really interesting story of when you first moved to Vancouver for a job. Yes. I'm curious if you could share that with the audience of that story of moving to Vancouver, landing a job, and then ended up leaving that job to start your own business. Yeah. So, well, I actually moved here probably about nine or 10 years ago. I moved here originally for school. So I was in school for um, business with a focus on marketing, actually, originally. And I decided at the time that I wanted something much more creative. So I moved here um, to take a fashion merchandising program. And that was where I kind of got started And that's where I got some of my first jobs and internships was in fashion um, in Vancouver. But I think I touched on this a little bit with you. I'll I'll only talk about it really briefly because it's that's just such a long story. But I started working more in the creative end of fashion, doing um, display and merchandising and those kinds of things. But very quickly, it was brought to my attention, and I I think I also realized this myself. I was much better at um, managing people and processes than I was at the creative aspect of it. So that's when I really shifted focus and started working, um, managing people, managing stores, managing multiple stores, um, managing the West Coast. And yeah, I started working for another company where I was the retail development manager. And so basically it was my job to um, travel around and first and foremost, open up stores um, all, all across North America, um, which was really exciting. But another part of my job, which was the my favorite part of the job, was to actually partner with HR and partner with the CEO of the company to co-create leadership development programs to travel around and host trainings um, amongst stores to develop all sorts of things when it came to uh, the employees working within the company. So that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of that. And then yes, I start I left and started my own company. I almost forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, during the time that you were going around developing leadership training for the employees, what what did that entail? So that was actually something that I had done at a previous company as well. And so something uh, I guess one of the skill sets that I'm I feel very blessed to have is that I'm able to kind of look at a bigger picture and put pieces together and see where things might be going wrong. It's also, again, a great skill that I'm blessed to have where it's quite easy for me to connect with people and make them feel comfortable enough to share things with me. So in in my traveling around at 
both corporate companies I've worked for, um, I was able to just actually have really honest, real conversations about how employees were feeling at the company, what they felt like was missing, um, what some of their biggest frustrations were and how I could help. And so for some of them, that was, you know what I mean? Being able to resolve conflict more effectively. They wanted training on that. For some of them, they felt like it was emotional intelligence. So I've done little training seminars on emotional intelligence, um, I even did one on how to manage millennials. Um, I did one on um, how to actually set goals, how to onboard people more effectively, how to create a company culture within each individual store that any manager was running. Um, so it was, it ranged uh, and it really spanned across so many different topics, which I personally love. And I think we've even touched on this in our prior conversation for me leadership is such a complex and, and, and very layered thing that really involves so many different aspects. Um, so it's amazing for me to be able to touch on all of those different things, values, conflict resolution, focus, habits, strengths, weaknesses, all of those different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I remember we were talking about how uh, leadership is not just one thing. It's quite complex. So uh, what are some mm -hmm. of the wisdom that you gain over the years about leadership? Oh my gosh. I think, well, I, and I, I don't think I've made any secret of this. I mean, it's definitely on my website. When I first started managing people, I was actually quite young in the, and I had managed, I'd managed stores before, uh, but they were quite small. Um, but by the time that I was, I think I was 24, maybe I was managing upwards of 70 people. And I certainly think I went down the road that I, a lot of people do when they're put in that position and there's still a lot of insecurity surrounding that. I definitely went the way of show no fear. And I created a certain uh, stereotype that I felt like was how a leader should be. And it was definitely someone who, like I said, showed no insecurity, was very unemotional about things, was very like, do this because I... I said so, um, not creating a lot of discussions. Um, and that's a lot of that is surrounding insecurity and your ability to actually do the job. And that was my biggest learning lesson in all that time. And I've seen so many people make the same mistake uh, of heading down that road. And for me, it was, um, yeah, one of the biggest learning lessons that kind of pushed me on to, to pursue the career that I'm pursuing because um, leadership isn't a solo activity. And I think that's one of the like amazing pluses of it. And sometimes the minus of it in that um, it's not a, uh, it is not something that you can practice on your own. It is actually something that needs to be practiced with other people. And that's amazing because you can get immediate feedback and you can see when you're doing something right. But I think the downside of it not being a solo activity is that you can hurt people in, in um, your pursuit of progressing as a leader or being better as a leader. And I think that that's something that I don't take lightly and I don't think anyone should take lightly in that when you make a mistake, you are directly impacting someone. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel about that. 
Yeah, right. That's really interesting that you're kind of touching on the insecurities and the fears around showing up with our uh, intense emotions. I think there's a lot of ego standing in the way for a lot of leaders, perhaps, because maybe they feel that they're in a position where they can't be vulnerable. So did you see that like happening over the years? A hundred percent. I mean, I see that was with almost everyone. And I think that's kind of the great equalizer of all of these things is that no matter how experienced you are, I mean, all of us have, I guess some people call them shadow selves, some people call them insecurities, um, but we all have these shadow aspects to ourselves that we feel insecure about for one reason or another. And that's the tricky thing about leadership um, or running your own business is it really shines a spotlight on any one of those insecurities. And you know, for all of us, they might manifest in a different way. For me, that was overcompensating to my like very intense emotions to overcompensate to be like very stoic in a way. Um, and that was my way of of overcompensating. And for some, I've seen it manifest in a way where, um, again, they're unwilling to listen to anyone else on their team because they're insecure and they they think that someone's going to challenge their uh, credibility or their intelligence in one way when that might not be actually the case. So it's it's amazing because it truly does manifest in in so many different ways for everyone. But it's something that I have seen happen time and time again across the board and I continue to see happen. How do we work with our insecurities or shadow selves? Mm. So for me, I think the biggest thing, the, the biggest game changer for me was first and foremost, doing the work to actually dig in to be able to really call out what those insecurities were. Because the funny thing about it, and I, I, I mean, the funny thing about being a human, we're, we're tricky and our brains are really tricky and they want so badly to protect us that sometimes we really, because it's painful and it's hard to do, we don't take the time to dig in and really figure out why we're behaving the way that we're behaving. Um, and that's where sometimes like ha having a coach that can come in and be that mirror for you is really fantastic because it's so hard for, for us to see ourselves clearly sometimes. Therapy is amazing for that reason because you can actually start to uncover um, where some of those behavior patterns have come from. But for me, it was doing the hard work for about a year and a half of like very painful digging into things, you know, rewinding back to my childhood and recognizing certain destructive behavior patterns that I had. Um, and it also took me getting really quite lonely, to be honest. I think I've shared this in one of my YouTube videos recently that specifically surrounding conflict resolution, I, I had some behavior patterns that were really not helpful because it was really causing me to feel misunderstood. Um, people really viewed me as one particular kind of person, someone who was very confident, never doubted herself, who was very sure of herself, borderline aggressive sometimes in her pursuit of whatever. And that is really not who I am. And so sometimes it's getting really lonely. That makes you want to wake up and be like, what, what am I doing? Sometimes it's getting fired from a job for some people. Sometimes it's like, you're not progressing in your profession that that is that eye opener, but getting really real about what you're doing, naming those things. And then I started a really weird practice for myself, actually, where I would call it out in conversation. 
Mm. If I was feeling a certain way, which I know for some people, they felt like this is weird. So if someone would say something that I felt like was really, I, I don't know why it created some kind of emotional disturbance within me, I would actually call it out. I would say, I don't know why, but what you said just made me feel really angry. And I think it's because I feel like you're challenging my intelligence. So I'm clearly feeling insecure about this. So I just want to let you know. Um, it's not anything you did. I just am having an emotional reaction to it. And I just want to call it out. I'm just going to take five minutes to just like come down from that emotional reaction. And that was like a really great practice for me. And I totally understand that most everyone's not going to do something like that. But to create a practice for myself like that was really great in removing my shame around having insecurities in the first place. And I almost began to embrace them. So that alone was so helpful for me. That's so powerful. Where did you learn this practice? Did you come up with it yourself? Like, I love, I love that, actually. I, I want to try it. I feel like we don't, <laughs> we don't express our emotions enough because, you know, like when we talk about, um, you know, aside from conversations with friends, which might seem a little bit odd mm -hmm. to be like, I don't know why you, like, whatever you said just made me feel really angry. But something like that is so useful in, let's say, romantic relationship. But if we can just, brings uh, that element to most conversations in life like I find that that would be so powerful just expressing our emotions so were, did you learn this from um, someone else or did you come up with this yourself this is brilliant I know <laughs> I'm glad you think so a lot of people were like this is very weird Sarah <laughs> but I totally made it up on my own I um like I, I just wanted to be in a place of total and maybe borderline brutal honesty about where I was at. And I felt like I kind of had to rip the bandaid off because, you know, this is the thing when you start wearing so many of those masks, people that have known you for years might not actually know the real you. Um, and that can be very unsettling for everyone involved, but I kind of just wanted to rip the bandaid off and let people know that I was um, feeling like, all of these feelings and I, I am, I, I wanted to be vulnerable and I kind of just wanted to show up and let people know this is me. This is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. And I think the beautiful part of that is then that gives everyone around you the permission to also say, I don't know why, but I'm frustrated right now by something you just said. And I think it actually might have to do with me and not necessarily with you. So maybe let's pause this conversation. So many conversations I had to pause and revisit, which I think is <laughs> fantastic because then you're showing up with intention and you're not reacting. You're being thoughtful about what you're saying. And I think more often than not, the majority of people are actually going to give you the space because they want you to show up to the conversation in a good place. They don't want you to show up being angry and, you know, potentially saying things that you don't necessarily mean. Right. And that takes a lot of self-awareness as well as the willingness to uh, admit to yourself that these are the intense emotions that you're feeling. I think that's tough for a lot of people. And I think myself included as well is, you know, when we usually judge these negative and intense emotions and we kind of associate them with shame. And that takes so much to just be like, this is how I'm feeling and this is how I'm reacting. And 
like even bringing that to the conversation and being completely transparent and honest, I think that takes up a lot of vulnerability and it really shows that you're showing up with full authenticity. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and too, like what a great practice to just, when you start saying these things out loud, sometimes you realize the, I don't want to, everyone's feelings are valid. And I, I, I think my own feelings are valid, but I certainly understand that my mind can get away from me sometimes. And when you start calling these things out, sometimes you recognize the absurdity of, of the thoughts that sometimes run through your head. You know, someone suggesting a different alternative to what you suggested for you to say, uh, for me to sit there and say, like, I feel like you're questioning my intelligence. Well, suggesting another alternative does not, is not a direct attack on my intelligence. I'm when you say things out loud, you're able to, to more logically dissect what's actually uh, running through your head, like I said, and then you can fully recognize that perhaps that was just some sort of crazy reaction and not necessarily the truth of what's actually happening. Because that's all you want, right? The truth of any situation, any interaction. We want the truth, not what our shadow selves are interpreting from any interaction. And I want to talk a little bit about dealing with conflicts and leadership in a team setting. So how does that kind of manifest in terms of showing up? Because a lot of times during conflicts, people have really intense emotions, but they don't often express it, especially in a team setting if they're not feeling safe. So what are your insights around team conflicts in leadership and, and how to deal with conflicts in an effective way? Typically, there's uh, three kind of main uh, conflicts that will happen um, at work within leadership, um, and that is like task conflict, there's value conflict, and then there's also relational conflict. And I think it's really important to actually, because sometimes, and I, and I fully understand that, conflict is just labeled as this one big umbrella, like there is conflict. But the first step to actually resolving any of it is to figure out what is what type of conflict is this? What is the core of the conflict? Because what I've seen happen professionally time and time again, and is probably one of my biggest pet peeves, is what I call Band-Aid solutions. So um, quite often conflict is so much bigger <laughs> and much more long running than we want to admit that it is. So a lot of times we, uh, as humans, will choose the path of least resistance. We will want to solve the easiest thing because sometimes it feels like such a massive energy output to show up, to speak your truth, to be vulnerable, to come with solutions, potential solutions to problems. Um, and certainly if you are in a group of people and you feel you are the only one who's going to do that, your brain is like, this is a suicide mission. Why, why would I do that when I know that that's not going to be reciprocated at all? And so I think, again, like I said, we go to what is the easiest solution and that's a band-aid solution. So if we can actually get to the core of what conflict is, um, we can come up with very much more tangible, realistic solutions to the problems. And people can actually voice frustrations and concerns that they know will lead to potential resolution. Because so often what happens again in conflict is 
And especially in a professional sense, I will say, no one actually wants to just show up and be real and say, this is how I'm feeling about these things. And they want to so often say like, it's fine, I'll let it go. But they can't actually let it go. They don't let it go. They kind of put it in a backpack and they keep carrying it along with them. And they put these Band-Aid solutions um, into place. And inevitably, the frustrations and the resentments continue to build. And that's what I've seen happen kind of time and time again. So if you can look at it and say, my frustration is coming from a place because I feel like the workload, so task conflict, the workload is not equal. Um, The resources are not being distributed effectively. And that's making my job difficult because of X, Y, and Z. That's not something that's personal, right? So we're able to look at it much more objectively and say, the system is where my frustration is coming from. Make sure it's not um, anything that is a relational uh, conflict. So relationship conflict is obviously much more personal. And Mm -hmm. in any job we have, we're going to have to work with people sometimes that we might not necessarily enjoy. But I do think it's really important to be able to say, like, I don't know why, but I feel like we got off on the wrong foot. I feel like when you interact with me, it feels like quite aggressive. Am I wrong in feeling that way? Or, you know what I mean? Is there something that I may have done? I want to own that. I Now when I talk to you, I'm rude also because I have it in my head that you don't like me. You know what I mean? If we could actually just air our dirty laundry when it comes to relational conflicts, we could probably resolve them that much more. Values conflicts are quite difficult. Um, which is why, I mean, I'm, I feel very blessed. I don't have to work with people that I don't agree with from a values-based perspective. Um, but there certainly are a lot of people, but I think that that's where the ability to remove your feelings from something and maybe potentially try not to demonize someone for their values, their beliefs. Um, but those are kind of the main three that people focus. And that's usually why they are not resolved. Did that answer your question? I feel like that was quite long winded. (laughs) No, that totally answers it. Yeah. Uh, I want to follow up with the value based conflicts because those are the messiest ones. And those are kind of the hardest to deal with. What are some examples of value based conflicts? Like what are some values, for example, because I think people understand values differently. If you could explain that a little bit further. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I can even reference my myself, my own experience. So every company I've ever left is because at the end of the day, um, when push came to shove, they did not value people. And that has kind of been my biggest gripe and moan with so many companies is that it looks really fantastic on paper to say that we support our people, we support the development of our people, um, we champion them, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to, and this is my thing with values, and this is what I work so much with clients on is let's dig into what your values are. So what, it, why this value, what lights you up about it? But the next most important step is once we've named them, how are we actually living into them? So what are the actions that we're taking, um, hopefully every day, to be able to echo that this is actually something that we do value. And for me, people has have always been at the top of my list. And a lot of companies that I work for, again, on the surface, very much champion themselves as people, as companies rather, who value people. But when it came down to um, spending more money to make sure that the training process could be longer so that our people were much more supported, that wasn't in place. Um, when it came down to um, promoting people who had, you know, shown up and done the hard work 
and were loyal and wanting to evolve and potentially wanting to try different projects and all of those things. There was no leniency or no time or space or energy or promotions given to people um, that wanted to do that, even if they were the best person for it. Um, it became about politics and less about people. And I think that's where uh, you have to make the decision. For me, the decision was like quite easy once it was really apparent that people were not being prioritized above all else then I leave because it, <laughs> it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart and like my spirit to, to feel like I am in, in showing up and, and giving my hours, even though I'm being paid for them in giving my hours and my knowledge and my expertise to people who aren't in alignment with, I, with, with what I value, it's just not worth it. So those are really tricky things, but I think it's really important when we're talking about values for everyone, even if you don't own your own company, to personally have your own values and make sure that if you are interviewing for a company, that they're taking actions and they have things in paper already happening that are going to effectively back up what they say that they value. And I think from our uh, last conversation, we also talked about leading from the heart. So mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, have you expand on that. What does that mean for you, leading from the heart? I think for me, which is really quite funny, I actually just read a book the other day where it said that good leadership is not people-focused. <laughs> it was quite from a, from quite a prominent business person, um, but I could not disagree more. I actually think that while leadership is aimed at steering people towards one common goal, I believe that, again, above all else, leadership should be led from the heart. And that means caring for your people, whether that's clients, employees, contractors, the friends in your life, all, the family in your life, whatever that is. For me, that's what leading from the heart is, is prioritizing them and making sure that they're okay and making sure that I'm doing everything in my power to uplift and support them in their development. Um, and for me, when I was working for other companies, I obviously had, you know, I, I oversaw hundreds of people and it's really easy to say, I support you as long as you're working with me. But for me, it was like, I want to support you in your development and your growth, even if that's not with me as a human I'm, I'm here to make sure that I am giving you lessons, giving you opportunity to learn new skills, lifting you up where I can so that you can take all of that and you can go into a different organization or into a different space and you can share all of that with them and hopefully, you know what I mean, start lifting up others around you. And there's a ripple effect to leadership. And that's why I think, yeah, that's why I think it should be led from the heart and prioritize people because there is such a ripple effect to be had um, when you show up for your people in that way. How can someone start working on their leadership at a personal level, kind of starting from the heart? and to transferring that to leading a team at an organizational level. Mm, I think that's so fantastic. I think, yeah, the very first step to leadership is actually being able to lead yourself, which not a lot of people think about. So I think if we're just talking about small little steps that you can take to lead yourself more effectively, like we talked about earlier, it's like really getting to know yourself on a very, very intimate level. Having 
you know what I mean? The highest level of self-awareness that you could possibly have. So what kind of things are triggering to you? Where, what kind of things energize you? Where do you really feel like your strengths are? Where do you need more support because you find yourself having some weaknesses and those are okay. But it's also really important to know where you might need a little extra support. I think being able to confidently approach difficult conversations, knowing at your core, what you value and what you're trying to achieve. I think all of those things are kind of the core foundational aspects of being able to first lead yourself and will inevitably kind of bleed into your managing clients, managing employees or whatever it might have you. I think those skills are like the core things that you need to start with. Do you think that self-worth has to do with leadership or being a good leader? Oh my God. That's a great question because yes, <laughs> it a hundred percent does. I think, and which is really truly what a, a massive part of my mission and goal is, is to reframe, restructure, reword what leadership is to all of us. I think so many of us grew up with a singular definition of leadership. And a lot of the times when I ask people to close their eyes and envision a leader and then describe what leadership is, it's really often someone who is uber confident, someone who's extremely charismatic, very outgoing, fearless in nature. And it's always this outward display of all of these things. It's very big, loud, proud, outward display of, of all of those things. And I think that um, has affected a lot of people's self-worth and belief that they could too be an amazing leader. And if we don't have the belief that we can be a leader and that we already are a leader but it might look different then so many of us are not going to take the necessary steps to really start embodying that that word that title that whatever you want to call it leadership yeah i think self-worth is so huge um, because there's a lot of people out there who unfortunately are already in a position of being a quote unquote leader and i don't think at the core that they believe that they are or that they can be. And that is damaging for them. But like I said, it's not a solo activity. So it's damaging for the people around you if you're not confident in why you are a leader and what you have to offer. I want to shift the conversation a little bit uh, more about you. So what are some of the big lessons that you learned this year in 2019 as we're just kind of ending the year now? <laughs> Absolutely. I think I finally came to a place of a much fuller acceptance. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's total and utter complete acceptance of my style of, you know, or my way of showing up in, in the world um, as someone who's saying I'm coaching people on leadership. But I finally came to a place because I I do disagree with a lot of traditional leadership coaching and development, but there was a part of me that wondered if I was doing it quote unquote wrong, if it wouldn't be better if I took a much more corporate approach, a more serious approach to my business and the way that I was showing up for my clients, showing up in, in newsletters or in videos or any of those things. Um, but I, I kind of had to take some of my own medicine. And, you know, if I'm going to sit across from any one of my clients and say, 
you are a leader, but it's just going to look different for you. And that's okay. Um, how could I not do the same for myself and say, this is what I believe about leadership. And this is how I believe that we need to start training people on leadership. And this is how I want to show up in the world and do it. I finally am, am at a place where I feel much more comfortable and, and way more confidence at believing that I'm heading down a path that is good and necessary and feels true to me. I think I saw one of your posts recently when you were talking about setting boundaries. What does that mean for you, setting boundaries? And, and how do you take that into practice in your daily life? I think boundaries, oh my God, boundaries are such a tricky thing for me historically, as I, I think you saw in the post, because I value people above all else and ultimately want to show up and serve. For me, I felt like for a very long time, the best way to do that was to make myself available all of the time for any kind of conversation or like call or email or whatever needed to happen to make sure that that person felt supported. I was making myself available to them 24 seven, 365. And I think for me, I've really come to realize that I need so many more boundaries, uh, Surrounding what I'm willing, what kind of work I'm willing to do. Um, if something's not in a contract, even though I want to help you, I'm not going to do it um, until it's in a contract. If I say that I'm not answering emails on the weekend and you send me a DM about something, not responding to that. And you know what I mean? Responding Monday to Friday as was illustrated in the contract. And so I think for me, it's just upholding that even though I want to help you, these are the boundaries that I've put into place. And for me, it's it's sticking to those because at the end of the day, I know that when I've gotten a chance to breathe and not think about work or not think about what I'm doing and, and just kind of relax and be myself, when I show up to help that person, I'm so much better prepared to, to help them because I'm refreshed which is like an age old thing that I think we've heard, you know what I mean? So many times as of late is like, if you're not in a good spot, how do you really think that you're going to help people? So for me, time boundaries have been massive. And I do think for anyone who is leading at all time boundaries are such a huge thing. We have so many devices uh, calling for our attention. Sometimes that is, you know what I mean? Our workplace actually calling for our attention. Sometimes it's Instagram calling for our attention. Sometimes it's email alerts calling for our attention, but you really are so much better for your people and for your work as a leader. If you are showing up refreshed and ready to go. I think uh, I was also thinking about it the other day as well. I think in 2020 for me, I'm going to start to really set a strict boundary on no cell phone or no electronic on Sundays. <laughs> yes, that's actually something. So I've kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit. But for the better part of this year, I was actually doing that where I was turning my phone off on Saturday night and I would not turn it back on until Monday morning and Holy hell, it was so nice. You should 110% do that. I know you do also a lot of self-care practices. Like you, um, do you try to go for nature walks in the morning? Um, yeah, share, yes. share. Please share with the audience more of the things that you do because <laughs> I know... <laughs> You have some really, I, I think you come up with really interesting uh, practices just over the years. So <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, I guess there's like a lot of, there is a lot of things that I do that maybe I don't think they're unique to me, but maybe they are. So I, 
I really wanted to build a habit or routine. I think I used to despise routine because I used to think that it made me sound really boring, but the routine is actually what makes me feel really supported. And it's, it's like, I don't have to decide. I just do this. Like, I know this is something that I do every morning. So I wake up and hopefully immediately just get out of bed. Don't scroll on my phone, get out of bed. And, um, I really love going for a walk really early in the morning. Like at least a half an hour has been so amazing for me. My brain kind of switches on as soon as I wake up and it's so easy for me to just want to dive right in. But giving myself the space in the morning to kind of just like take it a little bit slower. That does mean I wake up early every morning, but to take myself on the walk and, and just like be in nature and listen to the birds and watch the sunrise and do all those things. Oh my gosh. How early do you wake up? (laughs) Like I usually wake up at seven, but sometimes I will wake up earlier, but seven is not that bad. You know, like seven's doable. I'm not, I'm not a crazy person. I can't be waking up at 5am every day. (laughs) The 5am club. (laughs) I am not the 5am club, but if I do wake up, I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll just, I might as well get up and do it instead of, you know what I mean? Just laying here. So going and doing that, making myself a really nice breakfast. And then, I mean, my little dance breaks are kind of my, some of my favorite things to do. Um, and kind of always has been. So I grew up dancing for years, for like 10 plus years. And that's something that just that release of not caring about what you're doing or what you look like and just kind of losing yourself in the music for a little bit, even midday for one or two songs is so great to just like stand up and do that. I think if you take your work seriously and you're trying to show up and do a really good job, which I believe most people are, it's so easy to just start taking everything really seriously And while I do take my work seriously, I think it's really important to not take yourself too seriously and have fun and that life should be fun. No, I I was just going to say, I love those dancing videos that you put on Instagram. (laughs) It's just like, it's so fun and relaxing and it's just like you're showing up and it's so authentic and you're so brave. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone says that. I have so many people who are like, I could never. And I'm like, lest you forget that I am by myself. Like, yes, I'm recording it, but I'm not doing this in front of a massive audience. Or I mean, I know I am, but I'm just by myself in my home. But yeah, it's so funny. I think it's, I think it's so interesting. I'm fascinated that people think it's so brave to do something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's especially brave because not a lot of people are willing to put videos of themselves dancing just midday through but I think (laughs) no I love that I love that um I'm gonna actually try that I know that I do like turn on a song and kind of do a dance here and there but I'm gonna like really go up to your level and like really express I think you should like cut loose you just really like you cannot be self-aware you just have to be like I don't care I'm just gonna (laughs) sometimes I look back at videos and I'm like what in god's name are you doing people are going to think you have no rhythm but then I'm like no this is like that's exactly why I should do it is because it's not about me looking cool it's just about me being silly and having fun and Mm. perhaps like brightening someone's day for you know those like 20 seconds right having fun is just so important but I feel like in our culture that's so uh, masculine and overachieving and all about like results super results oriented we forget to have fun How often would you say you remind yourself to kind of have fun and just not take yourself so seriously? 
Oh my God. That's something, again, that's kind of another practice for me. So, (laughs) I mean, I am someone who has a tendency, we'll say, to overwork. And when I get really, really excited about something that I'm doing, which is pretty much everything I'm doing at this point, I'm so excited to do. I want to just keep pushing and I want to keep doing it. And my, my brain just starts running a million miles a minute. Um, I'm really helpful. No, it's really helpful for me that I, I, I'm lucky. I have people that I'm surrounded by who are really great at reminding me. So it's so easy for me to be like, yeah, I haven't really taken a day off for a couple of weeks, but I feel fine about that for people in my life to be like, that's madness, Sarah. You're starting, you're going down that road again. Don't do it. Take a break. Why don't we go for coffee today? Or like, why don't you go to a steam bath or whatever? You know what I mean? I'm blessed because I have people around me who are much more skilled in the art of finding balance. Um, whereas I might not be. So I see, I think that's, again, the mark of a good leader is, you know, what you struggle with. And that is certainly something I struggle with. So I've made a point to surround myself with people who are good at that. And I've also told people, look, if, if it seems like I'm going down that rabbit hole of like working too hard for too long, please remind me to come up and take a breath. And once I take that breath, I'm so good at being like, oh, right, this is much better for me. So I think sometimes it's just helpful to have a support system that does that. Mm -hmm. I think I can relate to that so much. Like both of you and I, I think we're doing work that's just really important to us. And when you have your passion, your heart and soul into your work, you can just stay at a desk and work for the whole day and totally forget about yourself and then beginning to take things so seriously. I think I struggle with with that too. Yeah, no, I want to take on some of the things that you're practicing, just like going out for a walk maybe it's just like taking a break or turn on a song and dance because I think that refreshes your brain and you can come back to it with more focus, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it's like you're holding on to, you're doing everything with like, I almost envision it where it's like such a tight grip on everything where it's like, do you really want to show up with that energy? Like, I, I mean, I love intensity. I've been described as an intense person on many occasions. And I know that I have the tendency to do that. So it's like, I don't want to show up with that kind of energy surrounding these things. I want to show up with like a calming, welcoming energy and not like, I've been working so hard on this thing. I want to be like, yeah, I'm really passionate about this. I love what I'm doing and I'm relaxed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're, we both probably have the tendency so yeah I think I think a little bit for me too and I think what's recently been really interesting for me is that um you know I I take my meditation practice also quite seriously sometimes Mm -hmm. and uh I think I think there's a paradox to that um because with meditation obviously you're practicing letting go and relaxing into your body and all of that and breathing (laughs) but sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm like oh well you know I'm like really um taking this seriously because I care about it and so I'm like sitting there like with this intense emotion (laughs) like well I'm gonna meditate (laughs) and it's just like it's not working out I think uh in this in the Buddhist teaching uh, a little bit they talk about right effort so when you're like exerting too much effort into an activity you're actually not making progress. Um, you're actually you're not doing it in the mi- in a mindful way. So it's like about balancing that right effort. Oh my god, I love that. 
Oh, I think that's so beautiful. Right? And I just read this like last week. So (laughs) everything comes when it needs to come. Just another little reminder. I think that's so amazing. I I have a notebook beside me. I'm literally writing that down. Me (laughs) too. I love that. That's fantastic. I'm going to put that up on a board of mine. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it was really interesting because I never really thought about it that way. I just thought like, well, the more effort you put in, the more results you're going to get or the better progress you will make or you will get closer to, I don't know, whatever goal it is that you think you're you're going to uh, faster. But that really put into perspective, like really put things into perspective for me. Just it's about the right effort, just doing the and, and I think um, the book was talking about how the you know that you're putting in the right effort when you're relaxed, but you're focused and you're concentrated. So it's not that you're just relaxed and you're just lazy and not doing anything, but you your body mm-hmm. is relaxed, you're breathing, but you're in the flow state. Like you're in the state of flow and you're concentrated mm-hmm. and you're putting in the effort. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I can pass you on the book because I know you were um, doing a questionnaire the other day with book recommendations. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to crush one every month, a little bit more, but yeah. Oh my God. What is the name? So what is the name of the book? Uh, it's like right by my bed. I think it's called The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching. It sounds religious, but it's, uh, I would say it's definitely more along the line of mindfulness. So they talk mm. about having the right perception, the right, mm. so they, they call it the right view. So seeing things from all different angles and not just just one angle, because oftentimes when we talk about our perception, we talk about our point of view, but our point of view is just mm-hmm. like a singleness of, of our perception. So it talks about having a right view, which is from all angles, and then talking about having uh, the right effort that we talked about. Uh, right speech, speaking like you said, speaking with honesty and transparency and authenticity and voicing our truth, speaking with truth, practices of mindfulness. I love mm-hmm. that. I think it's it's funny something you mentioned, the singularity of our, where our perspective of whatever situation we think is the only perspective. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because that's a practice that I actually make clients do when we're talking about conflict resolution. One of the tools that I share with them that's really fantastic is to explain the situation from the other person's point of view like speak in first person explain a situation from their point of view and see where the truth is in it because our experiences are colored by our own beliefs and history and all of those things you're right and we're so blinded by it sometimes we're we're so caught up in the way that we see the world that we don't really see how other people see the world Mm-hmm. Oh. You know what's really interesting too? <laughs> Why? So this is a little bit like tricky to kind of conceptualize, but mm-hmm. the book was talking about how there are different points of view, uh, different perceptions, but the ultimate right perception or right view that you're trying to see is to actually see from a place with no point of views. <laughs> mm, yeah and that I'm like I don't know what that really means right now I'm still kind of exploring what that means but I thought I would share that with you <laughs> yeah that's like master level <laughs> <laughs> where that's like practicing yes the most ultimate form of uh, unattachment to everything I also <laughs> am with you I'm not quite there yet 
No, it's it's tough because yeah, like <laughs> I'm still that, working on working with the other person's perspective. <laughs> I know, right? You're like, I just got good at entertaining that there is perhaps a different perspective to be had on this. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting book. I'll send it your way. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What empowering message would you give to someone who might be listening right now to kind of start on their journey toward leadership? I would probably say that I think, not I think, I know, I know that you have everything you need inside of you already. You can be a leader. You already are a leader. You should own that title and start doing the work to feel even more comfortable embodying that title. You have so much to offer and share with everyone around you and you're brave enough to do that. So just make the choice to be a leader for everyone and for yourself, more importantly. But I do believe everyone has everything they need within them. Their leadership is going to look different. And that's why I also think it's really important for everyone to define what leadership means to them. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show and sharing a lot of uh, lessons, insights, and wisdom into leadership and sharing different aspects of your life. And most importantly, sharing so many self-care <laughs> practices that <laughs> all of us can uh, give, a sh- uh, give a try. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for having me. Really, truly, I feel very grateful to sit and have this conversation with you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inner Leader Podcast. If you liked this episode as much as I did, please spread the love and share it with your friends and family on social media to support our guests and the show. They will appreciate your incredible love on this beautiful day. Thank you for being an amazing listener on our show. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow our community. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already. You can also send us a DM on Instagram at The Inner Leader to introduce yourself, ask questions, and make future requests for the show. We welcome you with big hugs always. And before you go, make sure you share this episode with your friends and family. Spread as much love as you can because the more you give, the more you receive. And remember, today is the day. I love you. Until next time.